You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Tina Avey. Good morning, guys. Good to see you. Um, I'm excited to be here. I was joking earlier we were doing huddle. I'm like, we have a weird piece of scripture, and it's kind of short. And at first glance, I was like, really? Like all the drama that just happened, and I get this little thing? But there is so much in it. So I hope you had a good breakfast uh, because we're, no, I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. But um, yeah, my name is Tina Pavey. I'm the director of Next Gen Ministries, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. What that means is we have a next-gen pastor at each campus, um, and they work with uh, nursery through um, 12th grade, and I work with those guys. So I'm sort of like on the central piece, arranging curriculum and training and all of that kind of stuff. Um, So with that, in case you can't tell by the video announcements, uh, Next Gen Ministries is pretty busy right now. So next Wednesday, see you at the poll. And I believe if, if rumor is correct, Jace, you're going to be praying. You like are leading the prayer at your school. Is that right? Let's give it up for him. Like, Jace, thank you for um, standing up and letting God use you and the courage that it takes to do that at a public school. Really proud of you. Well done, right? Good job. Um, so that's happening Wednesday. I do have to tell you this truth conference, we do it, uh, this is our second, I, I was gonna say we do it every year. This is our second year to do it, but we will do it every year. Um, but this year we have some really cool, if you have a teenager in your life, you need to get them there. We have, um, of course, great sessions and all of that. We're flying in some speakers from Rhode Island. Um, we have three breakout sessions in particular that are important. One's on sexual identity, one is on hate speech, which actually Lucas Miles and Micah Beckwith will be teaching that breakout. Um, And then we also have one, Pastor Kathy is going to lead one about heaven and answering kids' questions about what's heaven like. And these things that you don't always get to talk about on a Sunday morning, but aren't you kind of wondering yourselves, right? So we want to get every teenager we can in front of the truth because... Uh, the enemy's a liar, and culture is filling their heads that truth is based on how they feel or how someone else feels. Well, this isn't based on feelings. We know this is the solid rock on which we stand. I can't not finish the song, but anyway. Um, so with all of that, we have that coming up. And then we have um, another thing. I promise I'll get to the message. But we have Trunk or Treat coming. Um, Pendleton Campus, we're doing it October 28th from 4 to 6. Let me tell you about Trunk or Treat because Halloween is one of those things like Christians land all over the place on Halloween, right? Um, Some people turn off the lights, don't want any, like, I get it. Here's why we do Trunk or Treat. Because the enemy doesn't get a day. He doesn't get a holiday. And so our goal is to say, rather than taking your kids in the neighborhood on Halloween night with the scary things and the evil things and worrying about what they're going to see, and I don't know about you guys, but neighborhoods get, it's gotten worse. Like some of this stuff is super gory. We went through one neighborhood. We were, um, we did a light the night uh, with teenagers and we were, going to houses trying to talk about Jesus, and it was a reverse trunk or treat. It was weird. Um, It was fun. But we went to one house, and they literally had a haunted house in their garage. 
I'm like, is anyone else? Like, that's kind of creepy going through someone's personal garage. Like, am I going to come out? <laughs> like, so um, it's just, it's, it's not safe. It's dark. Um, and so we just want to say, hey, look, we're going to provide a time. Bring your kids in their costumes. We will have family-friendly fun, nothing scary. So we don't do ghosts or witches. We don't like Harry Potter. Just keep away from all the stuff. Um, you know, of course, I was going to say do Disney princesses, but now Disney's gone off the rails. So I don't know. There's got to be something that's safe for kids. Um, but here's the thing. We just want to provide a safe, light place for kids to come. Um, so if you would please consider partnering with us and signing up to do a car, it's super simple. You just pick your theme. You could do king and uh, castle, uh, decorate your trunk a little bit, have some candy. If you can do a game like toss across or something, the kids love that. But it will take a lot of us. I would love to see 20 cars, 25. If we could get that many cars out in the parking lot. I told Pastor Ross, I really want a life church bat signal. <laughs> like, you know, one of those giant lights you see at car dealerships and just stick an LC in the middle of it and like let everyone come. Um, I don't know how much that is, but I'm gonna try to make that happen. So if you would partner with me uh, to do that, I would really appreciate it. Um, so we, we just love kids and we wanna get kids as close to Jesus as we can. And if that means they're stepping foot on the parking lot, hey, maybe that's one step closer than they were the week before. So um, the sign-up sheet's back at the help desk. If you wouldn't mind, that would be amazing. Okay, I think that's all of the things I have. Next Gen's just busy. It's a busy time of year for us. Um, so we are in 2 Samuel chapter 12 still. Um, but we have a weird, not weird, it's just interesting placement of the scripture. Um, so let me just go ahead and read it to you. Now, remember, we literally have been in David and Bathsheba um, and the tragic death of their son because of David's sin. Um, and then David, so literally last the last verses, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. Um, and then uh, the Lord loved, they had Solomon, the Lord loved him. And then verse 26, now Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and took the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. How moreover, <clears throat> I have taken the city of waters. Now then, gather the rest of the people together and encamp against the city and take it, lest I take the city and it be called by my name. So David gathered all the people together and went to Rabbah and fought against it and took it. And he took the crown of their king from his head. The weight of it was a talent of gold and in it a precious stone. And it was placed on David's head. He brought out the spoil of the city, a very great amount. And he brought out the people who were in it and set them to labor with saws and iron pixes and iron picks and iron axes and made them toil at the brick kilns. Thus he did to all the cities of the Ammonites. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So we've left like this soap opera version of David. Uh, we have this and then you're going into another uh, tragedy, dramatic story uh, next week. But let's, so we have this battle 
in between. And it's kind of strange timing until you go back and figure out why. So here's what's been going on. In chapter 10, the king of the Ammonites died and his son Hunan had taken over, sorry, Hanun succeeded him as king. And David sent men to him to express sympathy over the loss of his father. David sent men to tell him on behalf of King David, we're sorry for your loss. Well, some of the men, the Ammonite men, convinced Hanun, Hanan, that they had actually come to spy out the land so they could attack it and take over. So rather than receiving the sympathy, they took David's men, shaved off half of their beards, and cut off their garments at the rear, their garments at the rear, and sent them away humiliated. So the Ammonites then drew up in battle, and the Arameans also drew up in battle. Joab had battle lines in front of him and behind him. Joab, he he was the general, the main commander of David's armies. Joab and his men fought the Arameans, and they fled. Then the Ammonites also fled, but then they regrouped. Now when David find out, found out, he and his men fought against them, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. So all of, basically, Israel has come to the top for the most part. Most nations were submitting to Israel. There, there wasn't a lot of opposition. And it is at this time that we find out this is when David skipped the spring wars. So you can almost imagine David being like, look, it's been a lot of battle. I'm tired. We're kind of on top. I don't think I need to go this time. I'm going to stay here and chill. And then we have the rest of the story. So David gives up his kingly duty, what he's supposed to do. And so then that, of course, leads to the drama of Bathsheba and all of that. But so when all of that is going on with David and Bathsheba, we have Joab. Ta-da! This is Joab, and that would be David. So we have Joab fighting. Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites, captured the citadel, which is like the capital, and then he sent messengers to David. I fought. I took Rabbah. I've taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops, besiege the city and capture it. Otherwise, I will take the city and it will be named after me. So the next step of taking the city, he's taken the water supply. I mean, it's as good as done, but it was um, typical that then the king would come in and administer the final blows and then he would take the city. It would be a city of David, so to speak. So Joab has been a faithful warrior. He has had his eyes on the ball. He's been doing the job, leading the men, camped out with soldiers, fighting battles. He has been in the trenches. The thing that's interesting, this account of what has happened is actually in 1 Chronicles 20, but you don't have any of the David and Bathsheba stuff. It's just like, a, any bullet point people here? Like, I, I literally wrote Lindsay. <laughs> like, just shoot it to me straight, give me the stuff. Um, and so First Chronicles 20, we just have the battle, but 
this is sort of important because you could say the main story was the battle, but sin gets the attention. Sin got in the way. Sin wants to disrupt the plans of God every single time. You're on track, you're doing the things, you're, you're worshiping the Lord, you're reading your Bible, you're doing devotions, and you can bet your bottom dollar something will come up to disrupt the path you're on with the Lord. This battle has been going on since chapter 10, and David should have been with his men on the battlefield. But pride came in, complacency came in, anyone? And he decided not to, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to go. I was talking to someone, she's actually in children's ministry this morning. Had a really hard day yesterday, a heavy day, helping someone through some stuff. Got up and was like, I do not feel like going today. She's like, nope, I need to go. And I am convinced that children are bringing smiles to her today, that she's glad she came, right? So we stay on track despite the distraction. But Joab, his faithfulness, you're gonna see the character of Joab really rise up, because if you can imagine being him, can you imagine the level of frustration? Everything he's been doing for David, I mean, he's in battle, he's fighting, there's blood, people are dying, they're living in the, you know, camping, which that's enough for me, I'm not a camper, that alone, but, but he's doing all of the things, and in the midst of battle, he's got his men, right, and Uriah, the Hittite, was one of them, and he's, he's just focused, doing the thing, and then all of a sudden, a messenger, hey, David wants Uriah to head home, what do you mean he wants him to head home? Right? This disruption of what was supposed to happen. And Joab, rather than pushing back, in fact, he's like, fine, fine, fine. So he is trying to get something done. David, who is off task and distracted, is pulling from his resources to play for sin. So you can imagine Joab's conversation. Look, I have taken Rabbah, the water supply is gone, it's all ours, you get your sword and get out there and take the city so it will be named after you. If you don't, I'm gonna go finish it off and it will be named after me. Talk about accountability to a leader. Joab had the opportunity to really let David have it. Sin wants the focus and the attention. Sin would have wanted Joab to say, David, you don't deserve this. David, you're an awful person. David, you don't deserve to be king. David, you did this and you did that. That would have been the temptation of Joab. And because you've done all these things, David, I'm just gonna take the city myself. And the thing is about Joab, if you can imagine being one of his loyal men fighting with him, would you blame him? Be like, dude, go take it. Right, we can understand the humanity of what Joab is going through, but Joab doesn't act like any man. Joab acts more kingly in this moment than David himself. He would have been right 
to really let David have it and give focus on the attention and all the attention and focus on the sin, but he just gives the king a reminder of what he's supposed to do. Verse 29, so David mustered the entire army. He went to Rabbah and attacked and captured it. And David took the crown from their king's head and was placed on his own head. It weighed a talent of gold and it was set with precious stones. So sin craves the credit. It wants the personal glory. Joab could have taken it. This does not weigh nearly as much as that crown. But he did give it to David. It was David's glory to have. So a question to ask ourselves, how often do we want to be praised for our own righteousness? We have to look at both of these guys, right? Joab could have. People would have understood it, and he didn't. David is in his rightful place to do it as king, but his response is interesting too. So David uh, takes the crown. The weight of the crown is placed on his head, and this crown was actually extremely heavy. The crown that got placed on David's head weighed probably 75 to 100 pounds, which I don't know if you can imagine that. It wasn't like he was going to wear the crown and walk around, right? So there's a lot of speculation about the crown itself, like 75 pounds on a man's head. Like, can you, like, I can't even. So it's not like he walked around with it. It was put on his head ceremonially. Um, But there's speculation about where it came from. So in verse 30, where it says, their king, Uh, the crown from their king. It translates in Hebrew to the word Milcom or Malcolm, which is the idol of the Ammonites. And this is the word that's found in Zephaniah, Amos, and Jeremiah 49. Um, Some believe it was actually the crown of the idol Molech that was taken because that was the god of the Ammonites. Um, And that word, when you look it up, there's many translations. That's one of them, is that it was the crown of Molech. Um, However, there are other speculations that the crown belonged to Og the giant, um, which is kind of interesting, too, if you think about David, because he would have been along the lines of Goliath. So where the crown came from is an interesting thing to seek out. It's not where we're going to land today. But it was a very heavy crown. And I do think in the midst of a leader who's failing, it is important to remember the heaviness of a crown, right? We all wear them. You have crowns you wear that are heavy. And sometimes we put on crowns that are too heavy that we're not supposed to wear. Amen? So in this situation... Who do, who, who's giving glory to who? Joab rightly gives the crown to the right king, right? And if you look at David as sort of a type of Jesus, that's what we're going to do. We serve a king. Scripture says that 
we will be given the crown of life and and there are jewels in the crown of life that are given to us based on our works here on earth and and when that opportunity comes and we're given that crown we're going to throw it at the feet of Jesus and give glory to him that's what Joab did interestingly enough David accepts the crown in every other battle you hear David gives glory to God in this one He sits sort of quiet and takes the crown. It's interesting. So David takes the crown. He took a great quantity of plunder from the city, brought out the people who were there, consigning them to labor with saws, with iron picks and axes, made them work at brick making. David did this all to all the Ammonite towns and he and his army returned to Jerusalem so is it possible after everything David's been through he repented when Nathan if you recall in in the story of of Bathsheba Nathan the prophet called David out If, if you were here you might remember that story but basically said you have screwed up big time And David repented. He's like, I've sinned before the Lord. So David repented. Is his heart soft yet? He just underwent the loss of a child. And so he sees the rebuke of the Lord and receives that. But maybe his heart isn't quite restored yet. The other thing we see in this story, if you want to consider how David, you know, they talk about David being a Christ type. So it means, I struggled with it at first because I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know that I'm a fan of David. Like, I'm weighing all these things out, and I'm like, hmm. But the point is, David isn't a Christ type because of David. David's a Christ type because God puts him in a position to paint a picture of who he is. Does that make sense? So David's failures show he's very, very human, but he's still put in a position that God put him in so he can paint pictures. And so the picture we see, if we were to look at David as a Jesus type, is back in 2 Samuel 10, when he was sending men to, to extend his condolences because of the loss of their king, they could have welcomed him. They could have welcomed that message. They could have said, oh, thank you, yes, we appreciate, yes. But they did not welcome the king. Instead, they were opposed to the king. Now that the city has been conquered, The opportunity to come to the king and welcome him has passed. Now they serve the king whether they want to or not. Now we can judge David's choice in that all we want, but the picture for us should be a little clear. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. The gospel has been spread far and wide. Maybe you're in here and you've been listening to it every week and you haven't made a decision for Jesus. Right now, the opportunity to welcome the king into your heart 
and accept him as Lord, that door is still open. But the day is coming, friends. And I fear it's coming soon that that door is gonna close and knees are gonna bow before the king whether they want to or not. So if you're in here considering that, I would encourage you not to delay. And if you're in here as a believer, we need to understand how important it is we take risks and take chances like Jace to be brave in front of people who may not accept it to tell them the truth of who the king is. Faithfulness quiets sin. We see two different aspects of this in the story. We see humans, right? So, so if we look at the faithfulness of humans, the work of a servant of the king is capturing a city. That's what we're supposed to do. The work of a servant in the kingdom is to bring glory to the king. That's what we're supposed to do. As ambassadors of Christ, this is, this is what we do. The spoils of a captured kingdom is what lasts forever. That's the people. Things come and go. People last forever. So the spoils of that work as a servant of the king are people. Those who will not submit to the king will end up suffering great loss. The freedom or opportunity they once had to surrender will be removed. And all the people who were loyal to the king eventually go home. Those who were loyal to David and did what, did the battle, did the things, they all went home to Jerusalem. Those who say yes to the king and follow him and, and, and do their best to serve him, go home. Amen. But it's not just the faithfulness of humans that we see in this passage. I see the faithfulness of God. Being human myself, shocking. <laughs> Being human myself, I, I listen to a lot of the stories of David. I'm like, what in the world? Are you kidding me? Like, why does David catch this break and get a crown after what he did. Think about what happened to King Saul. Do you remember Saul? Saul's big mistake where he got the kingdom removed was he gave an offering that wasn't his to give. He was supposed to wait for Samuel. He didn't wait for Samuel. He gave an offering instead of waiting for Samuel to give the offering. God says, too bad, sorry about you. The kingdom's gone. David commits adultery multiple times. He's got more wives than you can count. Then he goes after another man's wife. Then he commits murder. And then he schemes to try to cover the whole thing up. And David maintains his place as king. Does it make you like, well, we weigh that out, right? As people, like what in the world? The emphasis on the kind of victory that was accomplished at Rabbah is an emphasis on the kind of victory God himself gives to his king and his people. God gives David success 
because God is faithful. David may not be the most faithful person in the room. God is. And God made a promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David wanted to build a temple to put the ark in. He wanted to build a house for the ark. Okay, so if they had captured it, they had it, and he's like, oh, I live in this castle, and the ark is in a tent. Like, I need to build something. And, and God said, no, hold. I don't want you to do that. I've got someone else that's going to do that. But I will give you this promise, David. And he made a covenant with David. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, he says this, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God doesn't go back on his word. David maintains the kingdom simply because God said so. And God's not a liar. From the beginning, God made the promise after David, and he longed to see. I mean, if you think about David, there is a difference between him and Saul. David really longed to see God glorified. David was a worshiper. And it's interesting David, you know, I mean, his wife had a fit because he worshiped God so loudly and so big in front of all the people. He worshiped God. And so that's why when he gets the crown on his head and he just accepts it, it's kind of weird because he always gives glory to God. So why? Why would David not do it this time? Speculation. Maybe David feels like he's not worthy to worship God anymore. Maybe he feels like, I'm just a manly king now. Maybe. But how many of us in here have made the mistakes big enough or the enemy reminds you of them when you're alone and you're like, what am I doing? I don't, I don't belong. How, how do I worship a perfect God when I did that? You see, David's humanity is God's gift to us because his mercy and his promise that he gives to David is for us too. The promise of salvation, the gift of eternal life, that's been paid for. God's not going to change his mind. He's not going to break his promise. He's not going to say, oh, you can have it, you can have it, but you, psych. His promises are yes and amen every single time. And David, perhaps the hope is he is humbled by what's happened. And we'll see what comes next, how David handles 
the rest of the story. I think of Proverbs 19:21 when you think about David's failings. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail every time. So let me ask you a question. There's a lot of takeaways, and I, I, there's just so much to do. Like, can I encourage you? Dig into the scripture. Like, I'm just giving you bits and pieces. Look up commentaries online. If you want a recommendation, I'll give you one, or Pastor Nathan, Pastor Ross. Like, we're all reading stuff to learn. But, like, I read this scripture of this battle, and I serious, my first response was like, are you serious? all the drama and intrigue and murder and all the things that happen and I get this weird battle like stuck in the middle, what am I supposed to do with that? Until you start digging, it's like all oh, the Lord reveals. He reveals what he's doing, it's there on purpose. He didn't just, no, the writer didn't just randomly stick a battle in there, it's a reminder. Like this has been going on the whole time, Joab's been on task, right? But you don't find that at first glance. When you read his word, dig into it. See what's there for you. And so out of all the takeaways, one of the questions we have to ask is, where does our glory go? Do we focus on negativity and allow sin to get the attention and the glory like it wants? Do we accept glory for ourselves as we've rightly earned it? Or do we give glory to God? What if credit goes to someone that we feel doesn't deserve it? How are we handling that? Are we handling it with the heart of Joab, being faithful to the call? Or does sin getting our attention and complaining and gossiping and negativity about the injustice of it all? Do we lay our glory at the feet of Jesus? Are you going after people? And that day when, when Jesus looks at you and he says, well done, are you ready to take that crown and say, no, Jesus, it's you. It's you and me. And then we have to ask, what are our qualifications? Are we more qualified than David, less qualified than David? Are we good enough to serve a king? What if you mess up? I've heard people who actually think they're the exception. Have you ever felt that way? Like, I understand the promise of God, and that's for a bunch of people. I actually felt that way when I was young. Like, I think I might be the one that can't get there, which is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Are you disqualified from his promises? This story reminds us, when you think about the attributes in the Bible where it talks about, be holy, for I am holy. Be righteous, for I am righteous. You understand that's his holiness and righteousness in you, right? It's not you being perfectly holy and perfectly righteous. It's his. Sorry, I'm pointing to David. It's his. <laughs> Wrong king. <laughs> but think about even if we just focus on the main nine, right? Love, joy, 
the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are not us being really good people. It's called the fruit of the Spirit for a reason. It's Him in us. Those good things that come out of us, glory to God for it. It's not our strength, it's not our understanding, it's not our intelligence and our wit. I mean, the Lord uses, he gives us gifts and he uses them, but let's be clear, the fruit of the Spirit, well, he's the Spirit. It's his fruit that comes through us, not manly effort. And then the last thing we have to ask, have you chosen to welcome the King while there's still time? I'm gonna ask the prayer team to go ahead and come up. I think they are. <laughs> I told him, I'm like, if I don't ask you, just go ahead and beat me to it. But if you haven't chosen to welcome the, team, the king for whatever reason, I don't know how much time you have. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just being truthful. There's a lot going on in the world that is crazy. I preached at Eagle Creek and I'm like, you guys, they're legit having congressional hearings about aliens right now. I don't think anything I'm gonna say is off the rails. This is where we are. There's not tons of time. And so if you've been waiting for whatever reason, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Give up the fight, come to the King while you can and pray and intercede for those in your life who haven't. That's where Jesus is in our story. Where do we give our crown? And how long are we gonna wait to choose? With that, I'm gonna close this in prayer. The prayer team is up here. I can't imagine there's multiple reasons to come up for prayer this morning. Intercede for friends and loved ones who haven't come yet. Surrendering glory to God that that maybe we've taken ourselves. Repenting of gossip and complaining of those God has put above us, that we would stay on course and serve our real King. You realize whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. Whether it's vacuuming the living room, putting together a spreadsheet, whatever it is, we do it for the glory of God. So maybe that's where you are today. I'm gonna close and I just encourage you, take it any time you can have someone pray over you, take it. Don't delay, go for it because the King wants to change you. He wants to make you more like him. And you can't get there on your own, amen? You were encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.